0: Today on the Matt Walsh Show, as violent crime surges to record levels across the country, the new DA of Manhattan has decided to pour gasoline on the flames. He's announced this week that um, he will not prosecute armed robbery among a slew of other serious crimes. Why are these people doing this? Are they trying to destroy their cities? And if so, why? We'll talk about that today. Also, Joe Biden addresses the nation about Omnicorn and lies repeatedly. What else is new? And we're only one day away from the sacred anniversary of January 6th. How will you commemorate the special occasion? Plus, a prominent trans YouTuber apparently does not approve of my best-selling LGBT children's book, Johnny the Walrus, and recorded a lengthy video explaining why. I'll respond to that today. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. A lower mortgage rate can make quite a difference on your budget that's true you could be saving hundreds of dollars a month simply by refinancing to one of these incredibly low rates think of how much that can help then pick up the phone and call american financing and do it now before rates get any higher i mean it you cannot miss out on what's available right now especially since there's no cost to get started we get a free no obligation mortgage review from a salary-based mortgage consultant someone who will walk you through custom loan options finding every way possible to save you up to a thousand dollars a month without resetting your term. You could choose any term 10 years and over, and you have the potential to skip two mortgage payments. So don't put your refi off any longer. All you gotta do is call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. I'll tell you one more time. That's 866-569-4711. Again, 866-569-4711. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334. NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Well, for several years now, billionaire supervillain vampire George Soros has been quietly pumping many millions of dollars into local district attorney races all across the country. Now, I haven't checked his Wikipedia, but I'm pretty sure that George Soros is about 285 years old at this point, old enough to be Joe Biden's uncle, you know, and he's only has about probably about a century left to live then. Yet he's decided to dedicate these waning moments of his life to building an army of rabidly left-wing DAs who are all singularly, singularly committed to uh, not doing the one single thing their job requires them to do, which is prosecute crimes. That's what they, They're prosecutors. That's what they're supposed to do. Thanks to Soros, we now have DA Kim Fox in Chicago, who recently refused to prosecute a group of uh, gangbangers who shot each other in the middle of the street. Also, DA George Gascon in Los Angeles, who's overseen an enormous spike in crime since taking over a year ago in that city. DA Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, who has presided over an historic surge in the homicide rate. In fact, a dozen cities in the United States set new murder records this year, largely thanks to Soros DAs. But we aren't supposed to notice the Soros connection. And if we do notice it, we aren't supposed to talk about it because Soros is Jewish, and therefore any criticism of him or related to him or anything he does is anti-Semitic, according to the media. Now, needless to say, this rule is not applied equally across the board. No rule ever is. Because if it was, then any criticism of, say, Ben Shapiro, or his company The Daily Wire, or even the beloved children's authors and his employee, would also be anti-Semitic. But Shapiro doesn't count, for whatever reason, perhaps because he actually practices Judaism, whereas Soros is a secular atheist. But in any case, the latest Soros creature to be elected to the district attorney's office of a major city is Alvin Bragg. He's the new DA of Manhattan. And in a memo released to his staff earlier this week, Bragg made it clear that, you know, he's been watching all the ways that his fellow Soros goblins have destroyed their respective cities. And he's concerned that the work is not being done quickly enough. And that's why Bragg, according to the memo, will be stepping back from prosecuting crime, almost all crime, including violent crime. Now, New York is one of the cities that it's, that's experienced a crime surge, especially in violent crime, with 485 murders committed in the city in 2021. That's a jump of well over 50% over the murder rate just two years ago. But Bragg says that those are rookie numbers. We, we got to pump them up. And here's how he plans to do it, as reported by the New York Post. Listen to this. In his first memo to staff on Monday, Alvin Bragg said that his office will not seek a carceral sentence that is a prison sentence. Except with homicides and a handful of other cases, including domestic violence felonies, some sex crimes, and public corruption. Quote, this rule may be accepted only in extraordinary circumstances based on a holistic analysis of the facts, criminal history, victims' input, especially in cases of violence or trauma, and any other information available, the memo reads. Assistant district attorneys must also now keep in mind the, quote, impacts of incarceration, including whether it really does increase public safety. Potential future barriers to convicts include involving housing and employment and the financial cost of prison and also the racial disparities over who gets time, Bragg instructed. Well, at least they'll still be seeking prison time for some sex crimes. Only some. You know, just the bad ones, I guess. So far, this all sounds relatively in line with the brand of lunacy we've grown accustomed to over the last few years. But it gets worse. From the Post, it says... Bragg's memo also detailed the following instructions for prosecutors to reduce charges filed by cops in various cases. Armed robbers who use guns or other deadly weapons to stick up stores and other businesses will be prosecuted only for petty larceny, a misdemeanor, provided no victims were seriously injured and there's no, quote, genuine risk of physical harm to anyone. Armed robbery, a class B felony, would typically be punishable by a maximum of 25 years in prison, while petty larceny subjects uh, offenders to up to 364 days in jail and a $1,000 fine. So you heard that right. Armed robbery is a misdemeanor in New York now. No prison time. The memo goes on to explain that, of course, such trivial crimes as burglary and drug dealing will also be effectively ignored. But the inclusion of armed robbery takes this to to a new level. The rationale seems to be that armed robbery does not necessarily create a, quote, genuine risk of physical harm. Now, silly me, I would have thought that there's always a genuine risk of physical harm when somebody points a gun at your face. But that's not what a risk of physical harm looks like, apparently. You know, a guy who walks to his table at Olive Garden without a mask on, now there's someone who's creating a risk of physical harm. But if you were to merely take out a firearm pointed in the direction of somebody's skull and politely request that the contents of the person's wallet be emptied into the bag he's holding, well, there's no reason to overreact to that. After all, what is it that armed robbers almost always say, at least in the movies? They they always say, well, give me your money and you won't get hurt. Do as I say and you won't get hurt. So really, if if you do become physically harmed during the course of an armed robbery, it's actually your fault. You should have just done as you were told. I mean, he said, do what you're told and you won't get hurt. I wish that everything that I'm saying right now was a joke, but it's not. Here is, I think, uh, one important point to take away from all this. As much as as the people behind these policies talk about systemic racism and the impact of incarceration and rehabilitation, all the rest of it, none of that has anything to do with the policies themselves. It, It is not an overabundance of compassion that drives this. This is not a case of misplaced sympathies. The bleeding heart liberal stereotype was never accurate and certainly isn't today. I'll tell you what actually drives this. Actually, it's two things. Both are cynical and calculated. One is more politically practical than the other. So the first is simply that this is an attempt to solve the crime problem on paper through reclassification. Because if you stop treating crime as crime, then the crime goes away. It's like magic. Sure, there are just as many people selling drugs and robbing liquor stores. In fact, quite a bit more people now because you are not prosecuting it. But um, that's only technically a crime problem if you call it a crime. Stop calling it a crime and the crime goes away. Leftist political leaders and DAs are, to some extent, sort of adopting the rationalization of a cuckolded husband who solves the problem of his, of his wife cheating on him by deciding that, well, actually, we're in an open marriage. See, it isn't adultery if he approves of it, he thinks. We'll just take this thing and we'll recategorize it, and, and problem solved. Just as crime isn't crime if the people in charge of prosecuting it are giving it the thumbs up. That's the practical and the political motivation. But I think at a deeper level, there's something else going on. This is, at bottom, nothing less than an attempt to overturn human society to flip the moral order on its head. The anarchy in the streets is all a part of the plan, part of the design. The refusal to prosecute or punish violent criminals who prey upon the weak and vulnerable is a direct affront to civilization itself. Because it flies in the face of every value we hold dear as human beings. It is anti-human. It's anti-civilization. It's anti-moral, amoral. There's the real plan to tear everything down. Leftism is inherently destructive. It's the only thing it knows how to do. Tear everything down. And then build something new, something hideous from the wreckage. That's the objective. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, if you're thinking about your uh, New Year's resolutions this year, here's a resolution that you should make if you haven't made it already, which is to stop wasting all of these many precious hours at auto parts stores. Because if you need auto parts, all you have to do is go to rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of cars and models and and makes and everything that are are out there these days, it's really hard to go to a traditional uh, chain storefront and expect that they're going to have what you need. Why waste your time when you could just get everything you need in a few clicks delivered directly to your door? By using rockauto.com rockauto.com is a family business they've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers they have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps motor oil even new carpet whatever you need they have it and the thing is rockauto.com the catalog is unique it's very easy to navigate and you could quickly see all the parts that are available for your vehicle Choose the brands, the specifications, the prices you prefer. They make it very easy for you. Best of all, all the prices are low for everybody. Doesn't matter if you're a do it or professional, whatever it is. So go to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck, and write Walsh in their how did you hear How did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. I uh, hope you're bracing yourself. By the way, if you live uh, you know around w- where we live here <clears throat> in Tennessee, uh, they're calling for another big winter blast tomorrow. And uh, what they're saying is it could be like a little bit of ice and then maybe one or two inches of snow. And, uh, you know, may- maybe even up to three inches of snow. But the thing is, what I from what I learned last year, l- living in the South for the first time through my-, my first winter in the South is what I've learned is that, that you-, you really do have to treat that as the apocalypse because that's how people respond to it. I, I don't know what it is around here, but the, m- the moment one flake of snow just drifts down from the sky, from the clouds... All the drivers on the road—they see that and they just immediately turn their wheels and run into the nearest guardrail. I don't know why. Um, total panic ensues, and the roads are not usable. And the funny thing is that everybody around here drives pickup trucks. But then, but then, as soon as the the weather conditions actually call for a vehicle of that type, like n- now, now it's game time. You you have this pickup truck. I have one too. Um, and, uh, and as soon as the weather, it's like, this, this, is, this is what you have this vehicle for. But everybody freaks out and panics. Um, and uh, so you got you to prepare yourself. I was talking to my wife about this earlier today, and uh, she was saying, well, do we, know, do we need to go get salt or whatever? And I said, don't worry about that. The, the, the main thing we need are, are uh, sleds. You got to make sure we have sleds, you know, for the kids. And she said, well, we're good. We have four sleds, you know, one for each kid. And I said, well, what, you, what about me? So she's running out right now to get me a sled as well. Um, my wife, she keeps she keeps trying to convince me as an adult that like, well, why don't we take up skiing or some sort of adult hobby? I, I don't do that. I But I do like to sled. Just give me one of those cheap $5 saucer things and I'll get on that and I'll, I'll, I'll be out playing in the snow for an hour after my kids go in. All right. Let's start with this. Uh, Biden addressed the nation about uh, the Omnicorn again yesterday. And he, of course, blatantly lied over and over again. I think this was the most egregious lie that they're sticking with, even though everybody knows that this is not true. It's uh, 100% clear that it's not true. But he says this this is still a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Listen.
1: We have in hand all the vaccines we need to get every American fully vaccinated, including the booster shot. So there's no excuse, no excuse for anyone being unvaccinated. This continues to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So we got to make more progress. And for patients who still haven't gotten your kids vaccinated, please get them vaccinated. Look out for their interest here. It's the best way to protect them. And for parents with kids too young to be vaccinated, surround your kids with people who are vaccinated and make sure you're masking in public so you don't get COVID and give it to your kids.
0: Surround your kids with people who are vaccinated, like, a, I guess like a force field. Um, you know, you know, and actually the, the healthiest thing for your kid, in fact, is, um, for them to have a bunch of other kids around them that they can play with and socialize with. Uh, not not to, not to be surrounded by an army, a force field of vaccinated people. But what he's saying here is of course com- completely wrong. Um, and, and he knows it too. And everybody knows it, but this is this is what they do. They just stick come up with a lie and stick with it and keep saying it and keep saying it until you break down people's defenses and um, kind of you have your own sort of breakthrough case and then people start believing what they what they originally n- knew was a lie everybody is getting covid especially omnicorn I know that this is this is anecdotal but everybody this is all anyone anyone has done this entire time is talk about their anecdotal experiences so I'll tell you about my anecdotal experience which i think is a little bit beyond anecdotal because this when you when you look at the data it, it appears to line up with data so in in my anecdotal experience over the last two weeks um almost like everyone I know has gotten COVID and we can assume that it's Omnicorn because that's the dominant strain that everybody's getting. And it's so contagious that, you know, if you just walk by someone, you're probably going to get it, uh, apparently. And it's, and it's fine because it's, to, it's mild and it's a cold, but, um, everyone around me is getting it. And in my family, we'd all been feeling, you know, kind of, kind of special because up to this point, none of us had ever gotten in my immediate family and also in the extended family, no one had gotten sick over two years and then everyone gets it. But what I can also tell you is that I got a pretty good mix in my family of people who are uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated, not boosted. I don't know. I actually do not know a single person who's gotten the booster shot, but we've got vaccinated, unvaccinated people. And um, everyone's experience with Omnicorn was almost exactly the same, regardless of vaccination status. I'm not saying that's going to be the case for everybody. YouTube, I'm just telling you what my experience was. Everyone's encounter with Omnicorn was exactly the same. You know, feel like you're coming down with something mildly to moderately sick. For me, it was a little bit, it was worse than a mild, I wouldn't call it a mild cold. I call it like a moderate cold for a couple of days. And then you start getting better and you're fine. And I look at my own family, people I know, it's, it, and you, if you were to, to, to look at their experience with COVID, you wouldn't be able to guess based on that whether they're vaccinated or not. And then when you take a look at the data that appears to line up, not everybody's getting it and it's mild for everybody. But then, what you all, of course, what you always hear, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because every day, you know, we hear from another person in media or politician or some prominent person who says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got I just diagnosed p- positive for COVID. But then what do they always tell you? They say, I'm, I'm vaxxed and, and boosted. And thank God, because if I wasn't, it would be way worse. Well, how do you know that? Uh, maybe it would have been significantly worse if you didn't have your three shots or your four shots or whatever. But how do you know that? That's not based on anything other than your own assumption, your own hope, and there's very good reason to think that it, it would not have been significantly worse if you weren't vaccinated, because, especially with this variant, it's mild for almost everybody, and if you're not in a high-risk group and you're, you know, relatively healthy and you're not you're not morbidly obese. Most likely, this was going to be a mild to moderate situation, regardless. All right, we got one more clip from Biden. Um, some more, more encouraging words for those of us uh, who are not vaccinated. He says again, this is going to be a, a winter of sickness and death
1: for you. Listen. And by the way, we have booster shots for the whole nation. Okay, we you can still get COVID, but. It's highly unlikely, very unlikely, that you become seriously ill. And we're seeing COVID-19 cases among vaccinated in workplaces across America, including here at the White House. But if you're vaccinated and boosted, you are highly protected. You know, be concerned about Omicron, but don't be alarmed. But if you're unvaccinated, you have some reason to be alarmed. Many of you will, uh, you know, uh, uh, You'll experience severe illness in many cases if you get COVID nineteen if you're not vaccinated. Some will die, needlessly die. Be
0: concerned but not alarmed, unless you're not vaccinated, in which case you're going to die. Um, but which is it? You he just said that the pandemic this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, and then he follows that up by saying, "Yeah, I mean, people, everyone's everyone's getting it." Even if they're vaccinated, even here in the White House, well, then you just say it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Which is it? Are we all in this together or not? Because it seems like whether we like whether we like it or not, we are. At least in terms of being susceptible to contracting COVID. All right. In keeping with the uh, the theme of the week, the media are discovering truths about COVID that many of us have known and have been shouting from the rooftops. Um, or maybe shouting at a brick wall, it, it felt like, for nearly three years now. David Leonhardt over at the New York Times has a piece titled No Way to Grow Up. For the past two years, Americans have accepted more harm to children in exchange for less harm to adults. And it's a, it's a good piece, and I recommend reading it. It also sounds like someone I know, someone in, someone in this very room, in fact, room I'm sitting in right now has been saying for years that the worst thing about our COVID policies as they pertain to children is that all of it is being done not to protect kids, but to protect adults. The New York Times has discovered this three years later, but if you've been listening to this show, you've heard it almost every day for three years because that has always been apparent and it's been grotesque from the beginning. You know, it's one thing I would, I would have a lot more tolerance. I have a lot more tolerance and patience for people who go overboard in trying to protect their kids as pa- I, I understand that instinct as a parent, we're all guilty of it to some extent. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are, there are at least going to be certain areas in life, certain areas that play on your own special anxieties as a parent. Where you give your children, where you're much more restrictive of your children than you need to be, but just because you're worried about them, even if the fear is mostly irrational. So I get that, and you know something. If this was, first of all, if if this was a virus that that specially affected children, if it if it um, attacked and victimized children in the way that it attacks and victimizes elderly people and the morbidly obese, then Probably my opinion about our response to it would have been totally different. In fact, I probably would have been sitting sitting here saying, let's shut society down for the sake of the kids. Because at that point, for the sake of protecting kids who cannot protect themselves and as society, that I believe that should be our number one priority is to protect the next generation. As parents, for our own kids, that's our number one job. And so then, you're, then, then you start thinking, well, like any sacrifice I have to make is worth it. But that wasn't the case. Thank God. But even if, um, you know, if, if, if COVID was a, a little bit more dangerous to kids, and so we saw many of these policies being put in place um, out of a concern for the kids themselves, I wouldn't have agreed with it. Trying to do remote learning for three years, which is impossible for kids because they're not going to learn that way you can't put a 6-year-old in front of a in front of a computer screen for 6 hours a day and expect them to learn anything. So I wouldn't have agreed with it, but I would have been more sympathetic to it. But that's not what's happening. We're doing all of this to protect the adults. That's always been the case. When you see all of the videos of three-year-old kids on airplanes who are being yelled at to put masks on and that eventually kicked off the plane while they're crying and confused because they don't want to wear this stupid thing on their face. It's impossible to make a kid that young wear anything above their neck. Um, And when you see all of that, these are not, and you, you see the adults kicking a kid off the plate. They're, they're not doing it out of a desperate concern for the child's safety. They're doing it out of a desperate and selfish concern for their own safety and not even their own safety. It's, it's not even that they're protecting themselves. That would be bad enough. But they're not protecting themselves physically because that child presents almost no threat to them physically. It's about protecting the adult's feelings, their their, their sense of security. It's about making them feel better. So we're going to ruin kids' lives. We're going to ruin their, their social and emotional and psychological development. Keep them isolated. Deprive them of a, of a real education. Not that they get much of a real education in school anyway. Put masks on them. Do all of this. Scare them to death um, so that we can feel better. Feel better. So that's a speech. I, I'm, I'm now rehearsing the speech you've heard 10,000 times. And now we're, we're hearing it from the New York Times. So I want to read a little bit of this because it is it is actually worth reading, uh, even if it's annoying that it took this long to get to it. Uh, but there is a lot of inf- useful information here. So here's what he writes in part. He says, American children are starting 2022 in crisis. I have long been aware that the pandemic was upending children's lives. But until I spent time pulling together data and reading reports, I did not understand just how alarming the situation had become. Well, you might have understood, David, if you'd listened to us when we were trying to tell you um, for the past, you know, 36 months or whatever children. And then it goes into what the, what the exact toll is. Children fell far behind in school during the first year of the pandemic and have not caught up among third through eighth graders. Math and reading levels were all lower than normal this fall. According to the NWEA, a research group, um, not to be confused with the NWA, the shortfalls were largest to black and Hispanic students, as well as students in schools with high poverty rates. Michael Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute says, we haven't seen this kind of academic achievement crisis in living memory. Many children and teenagers are experiencing uh, mental health problems aggravated by the isolation and disruption of the pandemic. Three medical groups, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, recently declared a national state of emergency in children's mental health. They cited dramatic increases in emergency department visits for all mental health emergencies. Suicide attempts have risen slightly uh, Have risen slightly among adolescent boys and sharply among adolescent girls. The number of ER visits for suspected suicide attempts by 12 to 17-year-old girls rose by 51% from early 2019 to early 2021. Why would it affect girls even more than boys? I mean, it's affecting both groups, but girls are also more relational by nature. Um, and so they're going to naturally be more affected when you take those relationships away from them I think that's probably the reason gun violence among, against children has increased as part of a broader nationwide rise in crime in Chicago for example 101 residents under age 20 were murdered last year um, and then um, goes on with some of the more some more academic problems and then and then so on so children are being the victims of uh, the victims of violence more than ever suicide attempts at 51 percent increase in suicide attempts is, it's staggering, catastrophic. Um, And uh, victims of violence from other people, all of this is happening. Now, leaving aside, again, the fact that, that, that we've all been saying this, or many of us have been saying this for a long time, the other problem is that Even in these these articles where members of the media are seeming to finally confront what we've done to kids, it's still not a full confrontation. They're still ignoring huge pieces of the puzzle. Like, for example, he's still not confronting the fact that um, masking, you know, the psychological toll of forcing kids to wear masks for three years. He's not talking about that. That's a, that's a big part of this, especially, again, when we talk about the psychological effects that this has had. N- no generation in the history of the world has ever had had this. I mean, there are some kids today who are six years old or seven years old, and they don't remember a time when they didn't have to wear a mask when they left their house. There has never been a generation of kids that's experienced that. Sure, there have been kids who at various points have had to wear medical masks. But as a lifestyle, as an everyday, all day thing for years on end, no. Um, but the media is still not, that is that is one line that the media is not ready to cross in fact, as far as that goes, as far as masking kids goes, it's only getting worse. Here's a Today Show segment from yesterday advocating now N95s for kids.
2: So they go all the way over your head. Not the most comfortable, but very, very snug. Not mm-hmm. a lot of air is getting in between the sides of my cheeks mm-hmm. or the tops of my cheeks.
1: Hey, hey, Vic, the kids are back in the classroom, at least the overwhelming majority of them. Um, what's, what's the re- recommendation for our youngest learners?
2: Okay, so we talked to Dr. John Torres about this because I actually just sent my kids out the door this morning minutes ago with two masks. He says obviously the can 95 and 95 are the most effective, but it can be really hard to find them in small kid sizes and also to keep them on your kids all day, they're not the most comfortable. So the second best option is to make sure you have a kid-size surgical mask. And by the way, look at what a difference the kid-size mask is from the adult size. Mm. So you really want to make sure you have one that fits your child's face. And you want to layer the cloth mask over that mask. So the mm. surgical mask goes on first, uh. and then the cloth mask. If you can't do that surgical mask alone, Dr. Torres says, least best, but better than nothing, the two-layer cotton mask that fits your child. The best mask certainly is the one that your child will wear and keep on the yeah. whole day when they're in the classroom.
0: Yeah, put the, the uh, N95, because as she says, no air is getting in. And that's that's great for kids, right? I mean, who who needs to breathe air? It's a good thing our kids are all, um, you know, marine creatures. They're all, they're all deep sea creatures. They, they, don't, they don't need to breathe air. I, I've got a better recommendation for all your masks. You take all, she's so got all the examples of the different masks there. So here's my, here's my uh personal recommendation. You take those masks um, along with, like we talked about yesterday, along with the tests that you have, that you've been hoarding, you take all of that and uh throw it in the garbage and stop abusing your children, you psychopaths. All right, we are now one day away from the sacred anniversary of January 6th. Hopefully, you've, you've thought about what you will do to commemorate the day. Um, I can tell you, I've talked about this with my wife a little bit, but uh, it, and I think what we're going to be doing is we're going to rise early in the morning, and then we're going to sit um, around on, on the floor in what we call a cry circle. And you know what a cry circle is. Every family, you guys do this. Where we sit in a circle, we just cry silently for two hours. Um, fully masked, obviously. And then we're going to take turns reciting our favorite passages from uh, Amanda Gorman poems or from AOC's Instagram Live transcripts. You could do either one. And then obviously we'll sacrifice a goat to our idol of St. George Floyd. Um, That's kind of our own tradition, but each family has their own. Um, The New York Times and the media, of course, they've got their traditions for January 6th. They have yet another January 6th reflection piece, this one titled The Capitol Police and the Scars of January 6th. For many officers, their bodies, minds, and lives will never be the same after the attack. You read that and you think, well, will we ever see an article like that about the officers who suffered through the BLM riots, for example? What about their bodies and minds and lives? And the thing about the officers who were in the BLM riots is that uh, not only were those riots far more violent... And far more dangerous. But after the fact and during, these officers did not have the entire American media supporting them. So they had the the insult to injury here, where they were being portrayed as the villains by the media. At least the Capitol Police officers have, you know, are are being celebrated by the media. Maybe that'll help heal their, their wounds a little bit. Uh, the the other officers who dealt with BLM riots, quite the opposite. Here's, but all joking aside for a second, when it comes to January 6th, here's what that was. If we need to reflect on it, which I don't think we do, because more than enough has, has been said. But here's what January 6th was in reality. It was very, very stupid. Okay the rioters were very stupid. They acted emotionally. They had no plan beyond that. That's one of the ways that we know that that this was not not an insurrection. There there was no plan in place to overthrow the government. This was very stupid. These were emotional people who were just acting out and doing whatever. And that's why you you can look at the the ample amount of security footage that we've seen from inside the Capitol. And what do you see? You see all these people rush in and then once they get inside, they just kind of start moseying around and then they eventually leave. And a couple of them take some souvenirs with them. It's kind of like a dark night. The Joker talks about he's like a a dog chasing a car. He wouldn't know what to do once he catches it. So these rioters, they got into the Capitol building, didn't know what to do once they got there because there was no plan. But it's very, very stupid and uh, counterproductive in the extreme, let's say. But they were not insurrectionists because, again, they never posed the slightest threat to our system of government. They were not going to overthrow the government. How exactly was that going to work? I mean, for everybody in the media tells us our, our system is on the, was on the brink, it was almost toppled over that day. How? Even in your wildest fantasies, what could have happened that would have resulted in our government being overthrown? Now, this is a very stupid event that has provided um, lots of ammunition from the media. and That's all that really needs to be said about it. In a healthy country, we would have long since moved on by now. But the media and the government, the Democrat Party, they're not going to allow that to happen. January 6th gave them ammunition that they will never stop using, ever. And that's another one of the reasons why this was a very stupid thing. All right, uh, so I've had this... In the uh, on deck for a few days now. i got to finally mention it. You've probably heard about it by now. This is from the Daily Wire. The most successful female quote-unquote ever to appear on Jeopardy is actually a biological male. Amy Schneider, the show's first transgender contestant, became the highest earning contestant who identifies as female after winning for the 18th consecutive time last Friday. Um, I guess his winnings are probably higher now, but Schneider has now won $706,000 on the game show with a chance to win more tonight. Um, Yeah, so this is a few days old. I'm I'm not sure if Amy Schneider is still kicking ass on Jeopardy! or not. But the, the highest earning woman in Jeopardy! history is a man. Here's a Good Morning America a few days ago gushing over this whole story we're going to turn to a story that's a little bit more uplifting hopefully uh jeopardy champion amy schneider in a league of her own now this morning she won for the 21st straight time on wednesday the most by a woman just days after taking the record for highest all-time earnings for a woman earlier this near this year schneider she made history as the first transgender contestant to make the tournament of champions she still has a long way to go though to catch host ken jennings and his 74 game winning streak but it has been fun to watch Well, on her way. I just got one question. Who run the world? Girls. There you go. Do they, though? Because the top female Jeopardy contestant is a man. And the top female college swimmer is a man. And the first female four-star admiral in the public health service is a man. And some of the top uh, female MMA uh, fighters have been men. And some of the top uh, female track, high school track athletes have all been men. So do girls run the world? Girls don't even run female track anymore. Um, if, if, If this if it wasn't for the fact that our civilization was uh, was being was being fundamentally deconstructed I, you you would have to you would have to laugh about this because the patriarchy has won you know the patriarchy was was on the ropes a little bit for a few decades really and uh, and then and then they they kind of you know regrouped and and thought about it and then realized That no, if the patriarchy is going to win, it has to be. has to be This has to be infiltration. The the, the patriarchy has infiltrated the female ranks and achieved ultimate victory. It's kind of inspiring, in a certain way. Let's get now to our uh, comment section. So Joshua says, usually I agree with you, Matt, on the overdiagnosis of mental disorders, but the Antonio Brown case is different. I recommend you watch the film Concussion. There's a trend of NFL players acting irrationally and violently. This is seen in many contact sports where there's consistent brain trauma like boxing and football, but not in sports like basketball and baseball where there's little brain injury. CTE is a very real thing, but we can only tell if someone has it until after they die. It's very possible that Antonio Brown has CTE, and I think it's fair for his possible mental health issues to be discussed. This case is different from a Simone Biles or a Naomi Osaka um, uh, okay well there's again as I said yesterday and I don't claim to be an expert on this I, I don't think you are either um, in fact there's really nobody is fully an expert on CTE because it's very very it's, it's it's mysterious right now there's still a lot that is not known about it and whether or not, even the, the basic question of whether or not CTE is directly caused by football injuries, That is far from confirmed. And then, once you confirm that, to to explain how a brain injury could cause behavior, um, that is also going to be very difficult to explain. So, there are a lot of unknown pieces. And yet, with all of these unknowns, people who don't know Antonio Brown, have never looked at his brain, have never looked at a brain scan. Haven't been able to open up his head and take a look at it because, as you said, you can't do that until the person's dead, anyway. Yet yeah, you feel like you can sit back and and diagnose him, not only diagnose him with this condition, but directly link certain behaviors to that condition that you that you assume he has. It's to me, it's so self evidently absurd that it just seems like you're you're trying desperately to make excuses for this for someone who's a total. And has been his whole life, his whole career, he's always been this way. And for some reason, it's like you you want to make excuses rather than... Why don't we go... When when you have a situation and there are several different potential competing explanations, it's Occam's razor. You go with the simplest explanation. The explanation that requires the fewest number of assumptions... And to blame it on CTE requires an enormous array of assumptions. Whereas you could just say, he's a jerk. He's an entitled jerk like so many before him, especially in sports. And that's it. Okay, Just Ray says, there's a testing center near where I live. And every day it's jam-packed with idiotic sheep, literally uh, impeding traffic on a daily basis. My Lord, I think I've I've seen some of the same cars parked days on end. Live your lives, people. The only reason this has gone on three years is because you allow it to. Well, no. I mean, look, you've got to wait in line for three hours to find out if you're sick or not. If you wake up with a fever and a cough or something, you're not feeling well. Well, you know, I don't know. I could be sick, but let me go wait in line for three hours to find out. You say sheep. Speaking of which, I almost forgot this. I got to show you this. I mean, as as you mentioned, you say that these are all sheep. Um, There's, uh, do we have this from, let's pull the tweet up from CBS. CBS. We don't have the tweet. Okay. Well, some farmer. I think it was a farmer in Scotland. I'm just going to assume. Uh, on you know, ma- making making a uh, prejudicial assumptions here. I think it was a farmer in Scotland. He uh, want. I think wants to send a pro-vaccine message. So he. Can we play this? He got all his sheep together, and he had them. And he, I guess he lured them into place with food. And then he he had them all form the shape of a syringe. And this is supposed to be a pro-vaccine message. Sheep forming the shape of a syringe. I don't think that sends the message you want it to. It does send a powerful message. Perhaps a true one, but not the one you want. All right, let's go back to the comments. Um, thin, blue, th- thin Blue Pines says, 100% that earring note was planted. You have a daughter mastermind on your hands. I suffer from the same empathetic response to my kiddos silently bummed out about being told no uh yeah she i, I know that my, my daughter's has figured these things out fortunately my sons have not my daughter's figured out some of the manipulation techniques um, my sons are a little bit slower on the uptake when it comes to those things i think that's pretty pretty common with with boys and so they still think if they want something from me they'll just they'll just whine or yell or whatever and it's it's not doing it fellas not gonna do it um, Let's see. Sam says, I have to say, while I don't like the Spider-Man movie's plot, which was riddled with plot holes, I don't think you can properly judge an MCU movie if, you have, if you've only seen one. If you want to be a critic of it, find time to actually watch more of the movies. Try to understand the broader story. If you haven't seen Doctor Strange's movies, why should you be able to condemn his character? Because it's a very stupid character. That's why. That's how I can condemn it. And it seems like you haven't seen Spider-Man 2, the original, because you had, uh, if you had, you might understand how Doc Ock turned good. Really? I would have understood that? So the kid in a, in a laboratory takes some scrap metal and a couple of, uh, you know, like a couple of spoons or whatever and just ties it all together, puts it on the back of his head and he, and he turns good magically. I would have understood that. Um, again, spoilers on this movie, but I just want to highlight I've given you the warning. Or this the Spider-Man movie that everybody's raving about. What they do in this film, I was actually I was expecting it to be bad because all of the Marvel movies are bad. All of them. There has not been a good one. Um, they're not just bad, but they're all an affront to cinema. They are anti-cinema. But this was way worse than I, than I could have ever imagined it would be. Like my, my worst nightmares, but worse than that. Because what they did with this movie is that you've got. 20 years of Spider-Man villains. And uh, each movie, right, for the last 20 years has been sent, sometimes multiple movies, centered around one of these villains. And Spider-Man's fighting the villains and trying to defeat them. And then and then finally at the end, Spider-Man defeats the villain. And then we say, well, that's the, that's the end of that story. Okay. And in this film, because they're just desperate for a story, they say, you know what? Let's bring all of those villains back and then have Spider-Man magically make them all not bad anymore. You think, okay, two things. Number one, why didn't he do that to begin with if that's an option? If it's an option to just make some thing and put it on the guy's neck and make him good, well, we could have we avoided 20 years of bad movies if you just done that to begin with. But also, you've completely erased all of the stories that came before it. You just negated them. Which those stories don't mean anything to me, but if I was a fan of Spider-Man, because I'm a 12-year-old boy, who are the only ones who should be fans of these movies, uh, I'd be pretty annoyed by that. And then, and then also one other thing, because we have to move on. This this whole the whole the whole uh, catalyst of the plot is that, if I remember correctly, because it's all pretty incomprehensible and incoherent, but uh, a, a villain from a previous movie, who apparently could have just been turned good. Uh, with a with a couple of spoons and toothpicks, but they never thought to do it. So the, the villain in the previous movie told the world that um, Peter Parker is Spider Man, and Peter Parker in this and that was the end of the last movie. This movie, Peter Parker is upset because it's making his life inconvenient that everyone knows that he's Spider Man, and so he goes to the wizard, this wizard guy, Benedict Cumberbatch guy, and says, "Can can you erase from the entire world's memory the fact that I'm Spider Man?" And then the, the wizard says, well, I can, but then I'm going to have to erase the memory of you as Peter Parker. That's the only way that this magic spell works. And then things go wrong and haywire. And then, and then, and then eventually at the end, they, he ends up erasing everyone's mind anyway. But well, how, how about this instead? If this is an option, go to the wizard and have the wizard erase everyone's memory of the bad guy who told people this information to begin with. Why not erase their memory of him? instead of you. Well, because that would end the movie in three minutes. Okay. I think that's about enough of that. As you know, the Daily Wire has led the charge to sue the Biden administration for his vaccine mandates. And now we're taking it all the way to the Supreme Court. This Friday, the Supreme Court will convene to hear arguments on the legality and constitutionality of the mandate, which means that this week is going to be huge in our fight against medical tyranny. We have over 1 million signatures on our Do Not Comply petition currently, but it's vital that it increases before Friday. So help us send our message loud and clear and head to dailywire.com slash do not comply right now. We're counting on you to help us put a stop to this absolutely disgusting and tyrannical federal overreach. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today, we're going to be canceling Samantha Lux, who is a YouTuber and a, quote trans woman that is a biological male with a YouTube channel, actually a quite popular channel with well over 600,000 subscribers somehow. Sam has many videos promoting transgenderism and quite often responding to perceived instances of transphobia. One of the most recent videos on the channel targets, if you can believe it, none other than the leading LGBT children's author on the planet, yours truly. Sam stumbled across my children's book, Johnny the Walrus, which is still available for pre-order over at johnnythewalrus.com, by the way, and uh, and uh, does not approve. Specifically, my video where I read the book to a group of children has provoked Sam's ire in a video titled, Transphobes are Writing Children's Books. Trans Girl Reacts. This is good. You know, I, I am sincerely interested to hear how a trans girl, quote unquote, reacts to Johnny the Walrus. Perhaps this will be a point-by-point rebuttal. Perhaps evidence and science and logic and bulletproof moral arguments will all be marshaled. And by the end of the video, I I will have completely changed my mind, realized the error in my ways, repented of my anti-trans beliefs. Maybe even because of this video that we'll watch together, I will become trans myself. It's possible. So let's watch some of this and see what our friend Samantha Lux brings to the table.
3: Now, if you're familiar with the content that I create here on my channel, if you're familiar with the arguments that conservatives love to make about trans people, you would be familiar with transphobes claim that we are indoctrinating their children, that we're making their children gay, that we're forcing their young tomboy daughter to become a boy. That's not me. Who me? Who me? I would never. I love your trans girl. <laughs> I love your tomboy daughter. She is great. What I don't love is a hypocrite. Matt Walsh, if you are not familiar with is like an infamous transphobe on YouTube, this ho- posted a video one week ago reading his book Johnny the Walrus to a bunch of little kids.
0: Okay, so we're off to a rough start here uh, already. A few points. First, I do not believe Sam that you are forcing any child to do anything, or making any child, or making any child do anything. I am accusing you and your fellow propagandists of trying to heavily influence children with falsehoods, distortion, lies, and other forms of insanity that they, the children, do not have the mental capacity to sort through. So indoctrination does not often involve physical force because you cannot physically force someone to believe something. Belief requires mental assent, not physical assent. But you can coerce and trick people into believing things. And when they're children, that's very easy to do, as you know from experience. Also, by the way, I appreciate being called infamous, and I won't take any issue with that label, but um, I am not an infamous transphobe because I'm not a transphobe at all, and when I say I'm not a transphobe, I'm not saying it to gain your approval or to convince you that I'm not bigoted. You know, I couldn't give it less, less of a damn if you think that I'm bigoted or not. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I am instead concerned with definitions, and the definition of phobia is irrational fear, I'm not afraid of trans people. If I was, I wouldn't spend so much of my time saying things that I know will make you angry. My fear, and it is not irrational, is of the effect that trans propaganda has on society, and especially on kids. Okay? So we have that clarified. Let's continue. We're going to have to skip around a little bit because Sam's video is long, and it seems like a little too self-involved, even for me, to spend too much time reacting to somebody else reacting to one of my videos. But we'll, we'll watch enough to get the gist and to discover whether Sam will be able to make any arguments that will disprove or undermine my central points. Let's keep going.
3: All right, do you understand the comparison that's gonna be happening here? He's like, this book is about a little boy who thinks he's a walrus and his mom, you know, also is convinced that he's a real walrus. Do you get the correlation? It's gonna be about a little boy that thinks he's a girl or something and the mom is convinced that he's a real girl. How creative, how did you ever come up with such a creative, powerful analogy for children who don't understand what you're talking about?
1: Yeah,
0: well, you're right. It's not creative. It's not creative at all. I mean, the comparison between somebody identifying as a different sex and someone identifying as an animal has been done a million times. I'm not the first to do it. South Park did it a decade ago. But the problem is that nobody on your side has ever come up with anything approaching an effective response to the analogy. You've never been able to explain why it's wrong. All you can do, all you ever do, is just scoff that you've heard the point before. Well, we know you've heard it, and you're going to keep hearing it over and over again, until you answer it. All right, let's continue.
3: What is this thing doing on the floor? That's,
0: we don't have to worry about that. We're gonna read the book now.
3: This man has never met a kid in his whole life, never interacted with one child. He's like, I don't give a, sit down, we're gonna read the book. I'm here for half an hour and then I gotta go, so sit down so I can film, okay? Thank you, brat.
0: No, I think the problem is that you've never been around a dad before, which maybe I would've already guessed. Um, I'm around kids all the time because I have four of them, but, so I, but I have by now developed a critical case of dad syndrome. And that means that I, I'm, I'm just snapping my fingers and I'm keeping people on task. That's what I do. I'm dad. You should see me during chore time every night in my house. You get over there, pick up those shoes. You come over, vacuum the rug. I don't even remember anybody's names anymore. That's another symptom of dad syndrome. Okay. Uh, skipping ahead. But Johnny's mom's phone said it's not just pretend. So she went on her phone, and there were people telling her that this isn't pretend. He's really a walrus. Only a bigot would say that. How dare you offend? What's a bigot? Anybody know?
3: Kids are, I, I don't even, I don't know how old these kids are. I'm not good at estimating age, but they don't know what you're talking about. You don't see their face? Did he run this past like an actual children's author? Maybe like read it to a kid and see what they thought before he published it? I think he just went for it. Of course, they don't know what a bigot is. They're four. I mean, it does make sense that he would go for children because, you know, they have the same capacity for intellectual thought as him. Like, babe, if you're going to write a children's book, write it for children, <laughs> write it using words that they understand and that they know and that you don't have to explain for them to understand what you're trying to say through your
0: book. Um, first of all, don't call me babe. Second, did I run it by an actual children's author? Yes, I ran it by myself. And when myself came to myself and said, self, what do you think of this children's book idea? Myself responded, self, that's an exceptional idea. So I did get the go-ahead from an expert in the field of children's literature, if that matters to you. Now, Sam also says that, that some of these concepts are above a child's head. Yeah, Sam, that's the point. Now you're getting it. If a silly story about a kid transitioning into a walrus is inevitably too weird and abstract for children, then what happens if we mix sex and gender into it? Does it suddenly become more appropriate for children? If a child, as you say, isn't even old enough to understand what a bigot is or to hear the word, then is he old enough to be introduced to a concept like transgenderism? If he can't understand bigots, can he understand what it means for a boy to have a girl mystically trapped inside him? If my book is above his head, what about a choice that will fundamentally change his life and alter him physically and biologically forever? Is that above his head too? What do you think? Connect the dots, Sam. You can do it. You'll need to eat worms and to put on gray makeup. The worms give you whiskers. The gray blends you in, the doctor says. And a simple procedure cuts feet into fins. The doctor wants to cut into Johnny and make him into a walrus. It's It's gross eating worms, mom. They're all so dang twitchy. He doesn't want to eat worms.
3: You see what he's doing here? With the analogies that he's drawing, he's arguing that parents are forcing their young children to take medications that they don't want to take or to have surgeries that they don't want to take or to transition when they don't want to transition. That's not what happens. You know, children have a say in the process. Children are allowed to make their own decision. Of course, with the help of medical professionals. Of course, of course. But like this whole part that Johnny's like, I don't want to eat worms. That would be the end of it. That's the end of it. Johnny doesn't want to eat worms. No worms for Johnny. No worms.
0: I will say we got exactly the reaction to the uh, doctor page with the bone saw that that I had in mind when we included that page. And I fought for that page. Now, there was, I I will tell you a little bit behind the scenes, there was some discussion um, over here uh, uh, about that particular page with the doctor with the bone bone saw chasing the child. And I fought for that. I said, that's got to be in there. And it was. No, uh, Sam, but but see, you say children make their own decisions, but, but children can't make their own decisions. If I'm arguing that a certain course of action is harmful for a child, bad for them, damaging to them, it does no good to retort that the child wants to do it. Children who want to do harmful things should still be prevented from doing those things. Why? Because they're children. They don't understand what they're saying. They don't know what they want. And often they don't actually want what they think they want. At Red Robin the other day, my five-year-old told me he wanted to order salmon for for his dinner. Now, I knew damn well that that kid did not want salmon. He wanted chicken tenders and fries because that's what he always wants and it's the only thing he'll ever actually eat at a restaurant. So I didn't let him have the meal that he wanted because I knew that he didn't really want it because he's a kid. And that's just for something as frivolous as a meal at Red Robin. What if your son says he wants to become a girl or a salmon for that matter? Not only can you be sure that he doesn't really want that because he doesn't understand what he's saying, or what it means or what the implications are, because he can't, because he's just a kid. But also in this case, whereas it's, it's at least possible to actually order salmon, it's not possible for him to actually become a girl, which is reason enough to not give him what he says he wants. All right, let's skip ahead again and see if Sam saves the best rebuttals for the very end.
3: What's the moral of the story? What's the lesson here? Aren't children's books supposed to have like a lesson that's, you know, because I don't know what this is trying to say. I don't know what this lesson here is. The other lesson is don't listen to the creepy people in your phone. Don't trust medical professionals. walruses well, are mean. Like, oh my goodness. Maybe it's like a writing class or something. Ask a kid, like, do you know what this book is about? Because none of them did. Like, you could argue that this book is made for adults. Write a book for adults. Write a book for adults. <laughs> or is it that you have to dumb down these analogies and these arguments for children brain because they don't hold any weight in actual adult language. But yeah, that is it for this video. What do you guys think? You're going to go get Johnny the walrus the book? Hmm?
0: Uh. Well, since you asked, what do I think? I think you should probably in the future have some kind of rebuttal if you're going to make a rebuttal video. You rebutted my points in the same way that my dog rebuts the deer that he sees running through the backyard by just barking incoherently at them. Yeah, you're right that I did dumb down the arguments and analogies, but apparently I wasn't able to make them dumb enough for you to understand. My story about a kid pretending to be a walrus was, it would seem, slightly above your reading level. And that's a shame because it's a message that you might have really benefited from. And instead, I'm forced to say, finally, Samantha Lux, that you are, sadly, tragically, canceled. But everybody else can buy my book, Johnny the Walrus, at johnnythewalrus.com. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart, And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, according to the left, the
3: exceptions should get to make all the rules on gender, crime, and marriage. Plus, the Chicago's Teachers' Union decides it never to go back to school, and Joe Biden addresses the nation on the Omicron surge. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.